the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Take a look around you. Be it the events taking place in the front pages of the newspapers every day, or maybe what's going on in your own community, in your own home, we seem to be filled with nothing but turmoil. Couples fighting and divorcing, children acting out, violence spilling out into the streets, all related, if you think about it, to one common core issue. The one thing that so many of these troubling events in society in general or in your home in specific that seem to have in common, and that is anger. The Bible reminds us to be angry but sin not. But what exactly does that mean? How can we identify the source of our anger and then learn how to surrender it to God as opposed to simply surrendering to anger, which seems to be for most of us a much easier path? We're joined now by June Hunt. A delight to have you on the program. Great to be with you, Craig. Thank you. Boy, this issue of anger, it doesn't seem as if we have to look very far. It spills out into the front pages of the newspaper every single day. And sadly, many American homes are are almost consumed like a fire by it, anger. But what is this this source of anger? How do we go about identifying what anger is, where it's coming from, so that we can learn how to how to control it as opposed to it controlling us? Uh, great question. And by the way, nobody wants to be controlled by something else, especially when it can cause a horrible reaction from others. But anger is a strong emotion of of irritation or agitation that occurs when a need or expectation is not met. And yet what we have to realize, okay, we have at times anger, because as you already said, the Bible says, be angry, but do not sin. So this is a part of the, the problem. Uh, many people, in fact, if I were to uh, ask a, a large group, how many of you believe that uh, anger is a sin? Many hands would go up. But yet, would God give us the ability and give us uh, uh, the command, uh, be angry but do not sin, if anger was always sinful? Obviously, the answer is no. So that's why it's important to figure out what on earth to do because there's a caution, Proverbs twenty nine twenty two. You know, the book of wisdom is Proverbs. And the Bible says, an angry man stirs up dissension, and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. So there's a difference between feeling anger versus being an 
angry person. So it's a legitimate feeling, and we see cases throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testament, of, of examples where God was angry, or, or even Jesus. I think of the, the scene of him overturning the money changers' tables yes. there in the temple. Certainly there was a, an example of Christ being angry, and yet I guess it's not so much that we experience the emotion of being angry, but what do we do with it? How do we respond to it? How do we control it or allow it, in some cases, to control us? You go into great depth in your new book called The Answer to Anger, newly published by Harvest House, The Practical Steps to Temper Fiery Emotions. And I guess that that business of tempering the emotions begins, as you suggested, by identifying some of the sources of anger, the reasons why there is that emotion kind of bubbling up with us in in the first place. That's huge. Uh, And I'm glad you're pinpointing that, Craig, because if you don't understand the source, then just saying or hearing the words, you know, don't be angry or I shouldn't be angry, it's not going to help. Uh, That's not a solution. Actually, think of it this way. Anger is purely a secondary response to one or more sources. It's either caused, the anger is caused by hurt, Injustice, fear, frustration. Mm. One of those four or a combination of the, the four. In fact, what I would say, at times we will read about road rage. And uh, it's like if you were driving in your car and all of a sudden you think, oh, here's my cutoff. And you just, you know, you, you, you squeeze in between two cars and, and you make your, your exit. Well, you know, within 60 seconds, you could be dead. If the person behind you has road rage, it's not personal. It's not like somebody's upset with you as a person for what you did last week. You could be dead because of unresolved anger. And here's your key, unresolved anger that is cause, has been caused by hurt, injustice, fear, or frustration, or again, the combination. I've heard people describe it this way, that that sometimes there is this sense of almost a well of anger. It seems as if um, they will get upset over seemingly nothing or will seem to react to disconnected scenarios. You know, the guy who has a tough day at the office, maybe got into a fight with the boss, lost a big contract, comes home at night, and now he's, you know, kicking the cat and abusive to the wife and abusive to the kids. There's, There's an obvious disconnect there. Is part of the problem, June, that we've spent a lot of time looking at the symptoms as opposed to understanding the root cause or these these four sources of anger that you identify in your new book, The Answer to Anger? Yeah, exactly. Those events currently can have nothing to do with the past. So I, I think it's valuable to look at past anger, which I would call unresolved. Really, it's unresolved past anger versus present anger. Uh, so I think at issue is to understand these four sources. Every time we have anger, what what is the cause? Is it hurt? Has somebody really hurt my feelings? Is it um, instead injustice? It may not be personal at all. You can see a child. In fact, I, this happened one time when I saw a, a mother say to a little son, if you don't hurry up, this is exiting out of a out of a store. If you don't hurry up, I'm going to chop off your legs. Mm. 
Well, let me tell you, it, I was a youth director at the time, and it welled up within me. I followed the woman to the door of the business, and this little child, this little boy, had a look of terror in his eyes, and he was scurrying as fast as his little legs could carry him. And I said, excuse me, ma'am, I happen to be a youth director, and I just want to say, you may not be aware, but children take words literally and he could literally think you are going to chop off his legs she was so stunned that i would say anything to her but you know it was the injustice of what she said that propelled me to action in fact let me pop in this the point of us having anger is like a red light on the dashboard of your car do I assume that you may own a car of some vehicle? Absolutely. Okay. Do you ever have a light appear that normally isn't there and it's an indicator light? Sure. And we know it an indication of trouble of some sort. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. And the intent of that red light is not to just shine like a Christmas tree ornament or Christmas tree light. The point of that indicator light is to propel you to action. Mm. So that when you see that on the dashboard of your car, it's to propel you to action to to, to fix it because there's something wrong. It, and, and all it may need is water in the radiator. Or it could be some engine problem and it could cause fire. I mean, it's, it, it, it could be extremely important to act on it to figure out what is causing this. So uh, the red light on the dashboard of the car is good. So anger is intended to be good to say something's wrong. Now, in candor, you know, if I'm jealous because my friend that I love dearly is now going to have lunch with an, her new friend, then I'm the one who needs to rethink this and say something is wrong, but it may be that I need to deal with my jealousy. You know what... It, I, because people can have multiple friends and should have multiple friends like Jesus did. So, so in other words, it, it may not be just somebody out there that's doing something wrong. It may be that something's, that I'm interpreting things wrong within my heart. I'm the one that needs to change. Here's an ideal spot to pause. We'll come back to more of our conversation on this edition of Lifeline. June Hunt is with us. A broadcast, Hope for the Heart, weekday afternoons at 2 p.m. right here on KFAX. We're talking about June's latest book, the answer to anger. Back with more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. June Hunt is on the line with us today. Of course, she is host of Hope for the Heart, heard weekday afternoons at 2 p.m. here on KFAX. And she also has a call-in counseling program called Hope in the Night, which is broadcast at midnight right here on KFAX. And June, to put this in perspective for listeners, let's go back to your example for a moment of the indicator light. You're right, that light can go off, and it can be something as simple as you're low on water in the radiator, so you pull into a service station, you top off the radiator water, and you go about your business. But if that warning light is ignored,
Lord for a long time, or in this example, if we allow that anger to compel us, to control us, to drive us at every moment, uh, much like the warning light over something minuscule, such as low water in the radiator, after a time, can't that turn into a more significant or severe situation, meaning we don't pay attention to the warning light now, the radiator runs dry, the engine overheats, the block cracks, now it goes from a quick stop at the service station for a little bit of free water to a $3,000 engine job. Is the same thing true then in that example when it comes to anger, that if we continuously ignore that warning light and we don't deal with the hurt or the injustice or the fear or or the frustration that could go back weeks or months or years that over time that can fester and go from a need for water to a need for an entire new engine block? Uh, You've just connected the dots beautifully because so often what we are experiencing today as a problem or we could have a loved one, somebody we really care about who just has this anger problem who either blows up or just stays like a simmering stew, just that simmering anger. Um, and, and yet it's going to ruin relationships. This is, this is sometimes a cause of, of divorce, of, of parting, of people not speaking to family members for years because of not dealing with anger in a healthy way. Let's just imagine right now, you're angry, uh, this is simplistic, understand, but it works in, in many, many situations because I've used this. Um, imagine right now, you're just annoyed. I mean, you just it's just irritating because there's that squeaky door. It's the squeaky front door. It just keeps squeaking. And, and, and you know... Every time you hear it, you're trying to watch some kind of a program. You're a good student of the news, and so you're trying to absorb this. And then you hear, hear this, uh, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's just bothersome. Okay, now, you actually want to ask yourself this question. Number one, can I fix it? This quick answer to anger is only two steps. It's a question and an action. The question is, can I change it? Can I change it? If you can change it, you change it. If you can't, you release it. So if you have a squeaky door, what do you do, Craig? Get out the can of three-in-one oil and <laughs> or <That's> WD-40. <laughs> WD-40, you put oil on those hinges. If you can fix it, you fix it. If the, if the faucet is leaking, you get a wrench and you tighten it. Okay, or ask somebody to help you do something that actually is relatively easy. So if you can fix it, you fix it. If you can't, you release it. For example, if you've just lost the dearest person in your life and you are hurt, you, you feel pain, you feel, oh, this seems so unjust. I wanted more time. Well, you can't fix that one. You can't, you can't bring somebody back to life. So at that point, you release it and you say, Lord, I, I feel this pain. I just hate being without this person who's been so dear to me for so long. And I just release my pain to you. I thank you that I can entrust 
the future to you and even my present, even in the midst of my pain. Thank you for understanding and thank you for being uh, the source to give me a peace that passes all understanding. And that's what he promises. He, he promises that he will give us a peace that passes all understanding because, of course, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when we've humbled our hearts and received Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, he comes in and he is peace for us even when we don't have peace within our own hearts. At the end of the day, that anger that you're experiencing, or maybe you're on the receiving end of because you're living with someone in your home, uh, maybe you work with someone who is constantly demonstrating levels of anger. That's the warning light on the dashboard, as June Hunt says, that ought to compel us to say there's something wrong. We need to take a serious introspection look at what the source of that anger is. As June points out, it could be a past hurt or an injustice. It could be response to a situation that made you fearful or made you frustrated. To address those issues, to learn then on how to recognize the anger from the past keep it in the past and realize that you don't have to be controlled by the past. Ultimately, to, as Scripture encourages us, to be angry because it is a natural emotion and yet sin not and not allow it to control your life or negatively impact the lives of those around you. We'll find all the details inside of this new book called The Answer to Anger, Practical Steps to Temper Fiery Emotions, newly published by Harvest House. You can get it through, of course, the website. You can go directly to uh, hopefortheheart.org and order it that way. The broadcast, by the way, um, newly installed here on KFAX weekday afternoons at 2 p.m. And, June, we are so delighted to have your insights and your wisdom um, every day here on KFAX, in addition, of course, to the evening broadcast Hope in the Night at Midnight, uh, the daily broadcast of Hope for the Heart is such a thrill to have you on. It'll be a joy to be with you in the afternoons at 2. Could I address one thing that you said, and that is when someone is angry toward you, and if they are abusive toward you, what to do? Could I just... Please, please. Because so many people think, oh, well, I have no choice. I just have to submit I have to submit. Well, the Bible says, and that's what I want to say, is look at the whole counsel of God. Since we're talking about anger, look at what the whole counsel of God says. For example, Proverbs twenty-two twenty-four says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered. So you have the right to move out of harm's way. If someone is being continually demeaning uh, who, who is angry at you and keeps exploding toward you, that is not healthy. In fact, you say, okay, it is biblical, Proverbs twenty two twenty four, for me to move away from that kind of person. You put a boundary up and you explain to this other person, even though this can be very uncomfortable, but you can learn to do this and we can teach you how to do this. Also, you say, oh, but, but isn't that kind of punitive or something? The Bible says in Proverbs 19, 19, a hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you'll have to do it again. In other words, it won't do any good excusing this kind of behavior. So since you brought up the issue of somebody basically exploding 
you know, being angry toward you repetitively as a pattern of life. Don't, don't be around that kind of person. Find a way to move away, move out of harm's way, move um, where you, once it starts, you make a, a decision. Uh, just say, I think things are getting heated. I'm going to take a walk. And you go outside, you walk around the house, around the block, you uh, take a car, you drive, you do something to separate yourself because it is not God's will that you be anybody's emotional punching bag or physical punching bag. Some great insights in dealing with the issue of anger. The Answer to Anger, published by Harvest House, the book available through Hope for the Heart on the web at hopefortheheart.org. The broadcast, of course, weekday afternoons at 2 p.m. right here on KFAX. Hope in the Night, heard midnight right here on AM 1100 KFAX. And June, is always, a delight to have you on the program. Thanks for the visit. My joy. Good to be with you. Look forward to the future. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It was a number of years ago I had the opportunity to sit down with my dad and have kind of one of those adult-to-adult, father-to-son, heart-to-heart talks. And I, I had to admit to him, albeit perhaps a bit begrudgingly, that I was amazed at how, how smart he had become down through the years. You know, it seems like when we're teenagers, our parents just don't know a thing, and we have all the answers. Then as we grow up and begin to get into this world of life and have our own experiences and eventually go on to raise our own families, we come to find out that Dad, in fact, wasn't all that dumb after all. In fact, he was a pretty smart guy. We set that as kind of the tone for the beginning of our conversation today with a voice that's certainly familiar to KFAX listeners. Um, in addition to his responsibilities as the co-host of the uh, Daily Focus on the Family broadcast uh, heard here on KFAX, uh, he's also got a, a budding writing career going on, and uh, one of his latest books is called First Time Dad, The Stuff You Really Need to Know, and the great advice just in time for Father's Day. Pleased to have join us on the program this afternoon, the co-host of Focus on the Family's daily broadcast and uh, author, and perhaps most importantly, father and husband, John Fuller. John, great to have you with us. Craig, thank you for uh, inviting me, and you're right. Uh, of all the titles I've had throughout the years, Daddy is the best one. And isn't that amazing, you know, because often we guys identify ourselves certainly as husbands and as fathers, but then, of course, we have to get the career in there. And, and, and so much of our workday, of course, uh, 8, 10, 12 hours a day sometimes, uh, is wrapped up in our identity that oftentimes we fail to recognize that perhaps one of the most important roles we have, certainly when it comes to the job that God has given us, is that of father. It is, and it's an irreplaceable job. I mean, guys don't want to admit this, but we're pretty much replaceable at work. I mean, there aren't many of us who are indispensable and irreplaceable. But at home, uh, my kids have one dad, and that's it. And, um, and if I don't show up for that job, if I don't throw myself into that one with as much energy and enthusiasm as I do uh, my real day job, if you will, or uh, my golf game, or whatever the side hobby is, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss out on a great deal of of the richness of the journey of parenting, and my kids are gonna be shorted too, and they're not gonna get the kinds of things that I can give them anywhere else. Now you speak to this with some degree of authority as a father of six. 
Um, when you first got into this, um, when uh, you and, and your wife, Dina, were about to have the first child, after a, a great deal of effort, we might add, uh, I'm sure, John, there must have been a sense of fear and, and, and amazement and, and a little bit of trepidation at all of us. But then, too, was there a little bit of an idea that, you know, this can't be all that difficult? I mean, after all, you know, my dad raised me, and I didn't turn out all that bad. <laughs> How did you know? Yeah, and, and let me say that if I have any expertise, it's not because I've written a book. It's because for 20 years I've been running into brick walls and stubbing my toe and making mistakes left and right as a father. So uh, my expertise is probably probably born more out of failure than anything else. Um, no, I think I think I was guilty of that. Uh, to answer the question directly, I I thought. Um, kind of naively that, yeah, this is one more thing that we do. We become dads and that you can just kind of check that off the list or move on. And that's not really the case. Uh, it was a lot of change. It was like a scud missile coming out and just blowing up my world. Uh, all of my expectations about how the relationship with my wife was going to continue on, um, my expectations about my job performance, my expectations about hobbies, all of that was out the window when Dakota was born uh, almost 24 years ago now. It was, it, was, it was a change, and it was a hard change, but it was a good change as I learned to navigate it and deal with it. And I guess the navigation, I'm glad you choose that word, John, because some, so often I think some guys think that, well, I'll just go out and take a couple of parenting classes or read a book or think what my dad would have done and either copy it or in some cases think of that, what dad would have done and do the opposite, you know. But a lot of this is really navigation, isn't it? I mean, there, it, it, the baby didn't show up. I mean, the hospital bill came along with it, but there was no manual, was there? Yeah, they, the kids don't read those books anyway, and so it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, it, it, the, first cha- the first chapter of my book is called Great Expectations, because I think that really does, that's where we have to start. As a new dad, we have to get our expectations in order and just ask ourselves, as I go into this, what, what exactly am I forgetting? And, and what are some of my hang-ups about this? I mean, most guys don't want to fail, and most of us, I think, feel uh, uh, that failure is imminent as a new dad because uh, the, the, the baby doesn't react like I thought babies reacted, and this is a lot harder than I thought, and I'm now sleep-deprived, and my wife is sleep-deprived, and she's got hormonal changes coming off of the pregnancy if she gave birth. Um, there are all sorts of communication issues, um, man, I, this thing just has loser written all over it. So I don't run toward it. I run away from it. Well, if you expect it's going to be hard, if you expect it's going to be a, a great lifelong journey to be a dad, but that it's a wonderfully rich experience and it's, uh, it's a great gift from God to entrust a child into your care and that this little kid's going to be used by God to chisel all the rough edges off of me and make me more like Jesus, then it's it's a whole different ballgame then. Now, your book, John, uh, First Time Dad, The Stuff You Really Need to Know, really uh, culminates in your years of experience being the father of six uh, and being able to kind of help uh, first-time dads in particular uh, get the priorities straight and maybe learn them a thing or two, as my, my grandmother used to say. Mm, yeah. One of the points that you mentioned very early on is uh, babies are easy. I mean, sometimes, you know, outside of the 3 o'clock feedings and the interrupted sleep and the, the major change 
change in lifestyle that suddenly happens. Uh, we get used to it early on and then begin to think, oh, well, it can only get easier. It can't get any worse. And, yeah. <laughs> Boy, it sounds like a voice of experience right there. Um, yeah, I, I, I think every season has been good. My, my two oldest are adults. They're out of the house. And uh, my third child that just turned 18 we still have a 16, 13, and 8-year-old in the house, so I'm still living with a lot of younger and, and teenage uh, things. I've got to say that, that yeah, babies are probably one of the easier stages. Um, I hate telling a new dad that because at times it feels like this is so hard, um, but the rewards increase as the difficulty increases. And uh, sometimes I'll tell someone, I have three teenage daughters in my home. Pray for me. Yeah. <laughs> but I also follow that up real quickly with, a, you know, I love those girls so much. And I'm not sure there's anything better than when they say goodnight, they come up and they want their hug and their little kiss on the forehead. That, to me, is uh, that's, that's priceless right there. I can't buy that kind of affection and love from a child. And, and those teen years are precious when the girls still come my way and, and look for my advice and seek out their daddy. So every season is great. Babying is hard, because you're, especially if you're first-time dad, if you're first-time dad, because you don't know what to expect and how to, how to deal with all the, the issues that newborns have. But once you get the hang of it, it's pretty easy. But it does become, as we move along, there are certain complexities that are inherent to all of this, aren't there? I mean, number one, obviously, for growing families, you're adding not just child number one, who now has grown and gone through the baby years and maybe is either a toddler or a little bit further along. Now along comes child number two. Now there's a balancing act between the two. And so as there is the the exponential growth of the family and the responsibilities, one of the other things, too, that I think oftentimes, John, becomes a major hang-up for younger dads that are kind of still figuring all of this out is we see then to an exponential growth in a lot of the demands outside of the house, meaning that we're beginning to hit the pace in the career and the job, and maybe we're moving from, you know, entry-level positions to middle and upper management, more responsibility. Then, too, we're thinking, well, gee, the family's getting bigger. There are more demands on my time, more people that are counting upon me. I've got to bring the bread in because, you know, this is not just child-rearing expenses. Someday there's going to be education costs and weddings and all of these things. And so suddenly, in addition to a bigger demand for our time in the house as husband and father, there are oftentimes too, John, lots of demands for our time and attention outside of the house. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up, Craig, because um, I've observed the very same thing, and it's a concern to me. And I, well, I've experienced the very same thing. Um, you know, we had one, and then two, and then three children, and uh, the responsibilities at work were great. Uh, I mean, there's, there, I'm working at a ministry. I know that that uh, that it's it's valuable for me to pour into kingdom work, and yet I feel the tug at home, and and at the same time, uh, I've got single friends uh, who are in their twenties and thirties, and they're doing things like running marathons, and I want to do that, and there is a jumble of stuff going on there, and uh, if I can share just personally, I, I came face to face with priorities and with the challenges of work and career and. Uh, when my oldest was about eight, he uh, he was really uh, acting up, and we were having a hard time with some of his some of his behaviors, and uh, so much so that we sought out a counselor here at Focus on the Family. We talked to one of the Focus counselors for about an hour, and uh, she she listened to us, 
and asked some questions, and then she turned to me, and she just said, John, I think your son is acting up because he wants more of you. Mm. You're not home very much. You're working on your master's degree, and that's on top of a pretty intense full-time job working on the radio programming at Focus on the Family. So, um, you know, you just need to throttle back. And I, I, I was nailed. <laughs> I mean, come, come on, I work at a family ministry. I know family stuff, but I was guilty of doing too much outside the home. And, and some of that was a search for significance, if I can be honest with you. Some of that was a need to kind of, you know, hold my, pull my weight and hold my own against peers who were doing some things. But some of it was, uh, I think, a right passion to, to get equipped to do the next things that I thought God had for us as a family in the kingdom. Uh, still, I had to just reset and say, wait a minute, what's really important here? And I had to kind of push back on some things so that I could spend more time with my son because he needed me, and he was only eight once. Uh, if I missed that window, he was on to nine and then ten. It, uh, I would have missed him altogether if I wasn't careful. And that's such a critical point, and I want to pause right here because th this is a point that needs to be really underscored because, as John Fuller points out, it is easy to kind of get caught up in not only the striving for significance, but you feel like you're doing things that are of critical importance for the family, bringing home the bacon, all of that. And yet this time only comes once, and it comes so rapidly. And for a lot of guys that might say, well, gee, but... What about some time for me? I mean, there's these hobbies that I'm involved with, and I'm trying to work on the golf game, and I've got demands on me, not only at work, but, but the men's fellowship and responsibilities as church, as a member of the board of deacons. I just want to be able to squeeze it all in together. You get one shot at doing this right, guys. If you've just joined our conversation, a visit today with John Fuller from Focus on the Family. The book, First Time Dad, The Stuff You Really Need to Know, just in time for Father's Day, published by Moody, and you can get it through John's blog. It's easy. Just go to johnfullerblog.com. That's johnfullerblog.com. When we come back, learning to balance the time and prioritize for first-time dads. It's all the stuff you need to know as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. Again, we're talking today with John Fuller, co-host of Focus on the Family's daily radio broadcast, heard weekday mornings at 9 a.m. with a reprise broadcast at 9 p.m. right here on KFAX. John is also a budding author, and uh, his latest book is called First Time Dad, The Stuff You Really Need to Know. Great gift in time for Father's Day. And, of course, the book published by Moody and available directly through John's website. Just check him out at johnfullerblog.com. In addition, of course, to some great resources there, John also spends some time musing on his experiences and insights and comes at this topic today of parenting with a bit of expertise. Oh, not just because he's the co-host along with Jim Daly, uh, they're a focus on the family, but because he's a father of six and he's got a bit of that road warrior experience. John, just before the break, we were talking about this idea that there become, as the family grows, so many demands on our time. And particularly for the guys out there, we feel as if, gee, we have to bring home the bacon and we're busy developing our careers and we've got our, our sights toward kind of the end game of uh, educational responsibilities. That's going to take a lot of money. Daughters in the family, that's going to take more money for the weddings. So we, we tend to get very busy on the outside with the career, but we want to balance life. So we volunteer 
volunteer at church and we're on the board of deacons. And in order to relieve some stress, because we don't want to be shooting off, uh, you know, all that pressure at home, uh, we've got the golf game that we're working on, a hobby or two. We want to get all of this stuff kind of sandwiched into life in the early years, figure we're young and we've got the energy, why not? But there's some flawed thinking with that, isn't there? Mm. Well, I think there is, and it has to do with, uh, with something we were talking about earlier, and that is the window of time. Listen, if you think that parenting is an 18-year journey and you're done, you're wrong. Uh, there are a couple of things I'd say to that. Uh, that fallacy is, is wrong because, A, you really only have 12 to 14 or 15 years to really shape your child, because by the time they're 14, 15, 16, they're choosing independence. They're, they're longing for adulthood. They're moving toward adulthood, and your influence is going to wax and wane for the next several years. So if you think in terms of window, time of window, it's not 18. It's a little less than that. Plus, um, if you think that at 18 you're done being a dad, you're wrong. My two oldest have moved out. I still stay in touch with them. I love that. That's the payoff for the foundation of the early years, uh, pouring into their lives when they were younger. And not perfectly, but I tried. And so um, if you want an, an ongoing relationship with your child that is rock solid and good and tight and close, and you want that from, oh, say, the time they're 18 until you know, you're in the grave, that's the bigger part of your life with your child when they're an adult and they're saying, see ya, I'm going back home now. Or they're calling you on the phone saying, got to go, the kids are, are needing me. That part of the relationship is what you got to think of now. you got to think long-term toward the, 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 uh, the target. Um, I love the psalmist in Psalm 127. He says, children are an arrow uh, that you have, parents. They're an arrow in your quiver. And arrows are not defensive weapons. They're offensive weapons. You take the arrow, you pull it back, and you're aiming at a target. You're not hoping it's you know, going to go somewhere. You're planning on where it's going. If we would approach fatherhood that way, I think we'd, we'd have an easier time prioritizing, uh, saying no to some things, and we'd have a bigger impact on our children than we might if we're just busy all the time and chasing the wrong stuff. So focusing, uh, John, so to speak, on the end game, as you say, because let's face it, when we think of how we want our kids to turn out, we have an idea in mind. You know, we want them to be uh, good citizens. We want them to raise a successful family of their own. We want them to, to walk in a relationship with the Lord, maybe be involved in ministry. I mean, we, we all have dreams and visions for our children. So imagine that now when they need you, uh, in those formative years, you got to be there to invest the time because, you know, payback can be terrible, John. And later on, it's amazing that if you're not there for your kids when they're younger and they really need you, um, you got to set those expectations right because later on, someday, you're going to need them. Yeah, well, well that's, a, that's a very true point. Um, if I could, uh, I know a guy, and let's just, in the book, I call him Mitch. And um, he, he, I was talking to him, and, and I asked how the family was doing, and he said, well, not so well. And he shared some things with me that just were very sad. Um, he had one child that just really didn't want anything to do with him, another child who totally disregarded her, her parents' wishes and got married very early. And um, he was, he was kind of standing thinking, what happened? Well, what happened was he didn't work on the foundation um, and if uh, I lived in Texas, and you had to treat the foundation for termites, uh, because if you didn't, they were going to they were going to chew it up. 
And, uh, of course, that makes for a really rotten house over time. Uh, you got to pay attention to the foundation, which is those younger years, and you've got to be willing to uh, readjust and, and make sure that you're investing in the part of your child's life that is the most shapeable, the most uh, formative. And we know that, that, the, that it's never too late to recapture that relationship, to work on it. But, um, you know, by the time they're seven, eight, nine, they've got their ideas about who daddy is. And, um, and I hope I'm not throwing guilt at guys. I don't want to do that. Like I said, I, I myself was uh, confronted with my own uh, shortcomings in this. I just want to encourage a new dad to be thinking in terms of this is some of the most essential time. So right here, this is it. If, if I can get this right, if I can show up and love my child, spend time with my child, show I care to my child, uh, it's possible that I'm going to avoid a situation like Mitch's where they're in their teens and they don't want anything to do with me. Well, and, you know, I think, John, also, too, the big kind of 30,000 foot high viewpoint on this thing we call life to put it in perspective uh, all of us perhaps have known older people older saints that have gone on to be with the lord and, and others who in their waning moments of life as they're kind of taking the inventory i've never heard anybody about to end their earthly presence here say oh, if i'd only spent more time at the office gee if i just gone to a few more conferences and meetings and spent more time uh, uh dealing with business then i would be satisfied in life no you never hear them say that instead they say if i'd only been a better husband to my wife a better father to my children if i only spent more time with the kids when they were younger uh or with my grandkids i mean those are the things that if we miss out on it when we have the opportunity the first time around you don't get a second time at this you don't and um and i if i if i can share a story my father-in-law passed away uh, at age 89 uh just a few weeks short of his 90th birthday in december and um, I, I was asked to speak at his eulogy, and one of the things I said was, I want my kids, I hope I can do this, I want my kids to love me and have as much respect and admiration for me as my wife and her sister and brother had for their daddy. They loved him, and they adored him, and they miss him deeply already. Um, that that kind of affection and love from a child comes because you were there. And it doesn't have to be you were taking them to the theme park and you were doing all these things that are expensive or time-consuming. But it does mean that you were there consistently offering your attention, meeting that child where he or she is at, recognizing he or she is uniquely wired and needs something different than the rest of them, um, when you try to meet your kid where they're at, when you simply say, you know, you're more important than me finishing this fence work, or, yeah, i got to check email for work, but I'm not doing that until you're in bed. Mm-hmm. When, when you say, hey, let's play a game, and they forget about it, and you come back and say, I, I wanted to play a game, that just says to a kid, love, love, love. And, and so it takes conscious choices and, um, you know, if you do that, um, there is a payoff. 
a rich payoff. Absolutely. And of course, another great invaluable resource. Uh, take a little bit of uh, insight from the voice of experience, uh, John Fuller, who's uh, now child number six. So he's got a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, power behind what he says. All detailed inside the pages of a book called First Time Dad, The Stuff You Really Need to Know. The book published by Moody and available uh, through, of course, you can try it at uh, bookstores about the Bay Area. But best place to check it out is on John Fuller's blog. Check him out at johnfullerblog.com. That's johnfullerblog.com. And uh, catch him weekday mornings and again in the evenings, 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. as co-host of Focus on the Family, heard right here on KFAX. Well, John, we sure appreciate the candor, the insights, and the encouragement for first-time dads. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.